Hi, this is Elliot, host of Inspired Edinburgh. Please come and check out our Facebook page for all of the latest updates. If I could ask a small favour, please could you subscribe and review our show on iTunes. By doing this, you'll be helping us reach a wider audience and have a greater impact by challenging perceptions and encouraging people to live a more conscious life. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Inspired Edinburgh. Powerful conversations helping you reconnect with your purpose. I'm Elliot Reeves and my guest today is Marvin Reed. Marvin is a senior occupational therapist and founder of Chill Winston UK, an organisation that works with boys and men to give them the tools to become more emotionally resilient. You're a speaker, a vlogger, a podcaster and a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. Marvin, it's incredible to have you here. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, man. You're absolutely it's welcome. Absolutely, deli- absolute delight to be here. <laughs> great, great. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so much fun spending some time with you yesterday and uh, going deep in conversation, as I expect we will do once again. Yeah. This time the cameras are rolling, yeah. so it's uh, it's great stuff. Yeah. This conversation started last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Yeah. So I think the the best place to start is for a bit of context. Yeah. You know, who is Marvin Reed? <laughs> Uh, that's me. So who is Marvin Reed? Interesting question. Um, so I'm a 41-year-old 40, 40 40 um, man, uh, born in Reading, mm-hmm. in Berkshire, brought up in Berkshire, um, come from a big family, big supportive family, um, and as a child loved playing outdoors, um, spent a lot of time with cousins, you know, um, summer holidays in Cornwall. Um, Great upbringing. I feel very, very grateful. I've had a wonderful upbringing. Um, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. always it's always a tricky curveball question. That it, it really and, it really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I, I, that's why I, I suppose I enjoy asking it because it it does kind of prompt people to kind of reflect a little bit on you know who am I? It's interesting, and I do like seeing people's responses. I suppose you know you've given a bit of context around sort of where you grew up. How would you describe what you were like? You know, how did you fare um, in the education system, and what I suppose were your kind of early aspirations mm. when you were when you were growing up? Okay, so I guess um, as a young boy, um, I was um, I was quite I was quite playful. I was um, a bit of a joker, hmm. so I, and that's still in me. Yeah, you know, it's definitely still in me, and I love that. And it, the interesting thing is, is that as I've become a man, and particularly over the last sort of ten years, as I've started to, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we move through, mm-hmm. but as I've started to unravel the knots and start to become more of a man, in a strange way, the boy has come back through. <laughs> you know, so. As a young boy, I spent a lot of time. I used to spend a lot of time with my mum in the kitchen watching her cook and bake. And I think that's where I get my love for cooking and baking from. And at school, um, some of the subjects that I loved were like geography, geography, history, um, biology. I've got a big passion for the natural world and conservation. Mm-hmm. As a young lad, I was obsessed with snakes. And I was very, very lucky that my mum and dad let me keep them. And I don't know how I convinced them because I had to keep... Um, frozen rodents in the freezer. Really? Like, oh, who goodness. lets their child do that? <laughs> you know? Um, but my mum and dad were, you know, they, they used to really, really encourage us, me and my brothers and my sister, to do the things that were really important to us, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really supported us with that. So 
I, I loved, when I was a young lad, I loved to study, I loved to read, um, I loved to learn about the world and all the different countries that were out there. And, um, and that sort of, I guess, lit my desire and my passion to want to go to these countries and go to these national parks mm-hmm. and to go to these places where, where, these, while this wild, where, the, where this wildlife of these animals were that I was so fascinated by. Yeah. Um, at school, and so that was my younger years, and then as school, start, as school started to roll through and I started to become an older child, um, I started to become a bit more mischievous. <laughs> yeah. I, because I guess that I didn't like being told what to do or being told what I had to be interested in. Yeah. And I think for any, you know, particularly getting towards adolescence and teenage years, it's a difficult time for many children. For many a child, and um, there's hormonal stuff changing, and, 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 and um, so it's all going off. Um, and then I started to become more interested in like making people laugh <laughs> and getting thrown out of class <laughs> and then pulling faces when I was out there. Yeah. You know, because I, I don't think I was stimulated. Is that, I wasn't, the, yeah. I don't think I was stimulated. Yeah. And emotionally, I had a lot of stuff going on, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like many of us do, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good stuff. I saw a really interesting article actually in doing a little bit of research um, that you worked in IT mm. before you transitioned into the work that you're currently doing. I didn't realise that. What was the sort of career path and trajectory that you were on when you left school? Okay, so, so when I was doing my GCSEs, um, I just wanted to get them done <laughs> and I wanted to finish because, you know, I was... I was at that age where I was very much interested in just going out with my mates, and I was, I, I had, I was discovering music, and um, and then of course, you know, as young, like teenage lads, suddenly there's the, we're faced with girls as well, yeah. and we're like, oh my god, who are you? <laughs> and now I have to try and impress you, and you you're hanging with all your mates, and so I was I was much more interested. In, I need to make money. I need to earn money, and I wanted to earn money, um, so I needed to get a, I wanted to get a job. So what happened was when I was in doing my GCSEs, I was working as um, a Saturday boy in a hairdresser's. Really? Um, and then the, op- the, op- the opportunity opened up to um, get an apprenticeship as a, as a hairdresser. So I left um, school, became a hair- became, did an apprenticeship as a hairdresser, um, started, started to party quite a lot, and then um, did my qualification as a hairdresser, um, which I enjoyed. It was, I met some really, really cool friends that are still some of my friends now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had great, you know, I mean, blimey, you know, we would go out on a Friday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and actually come into the salon on a Saturday and not slept at all. Wow. And then of course you're working as a Saturday person, it makes it even worse because there are mirrors everywhere. Yeah. So you're trying to just keep your head together and you're like, oh my God, there's mirrors everywhere. How am I going to, so, you know, that makes you resilient. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then I sort of, I was, there's a transitional point, I think for maybe for any apprentice where you're qualified in what you do, mm-hmm. but you're getting paid quite minimal money. You've got these skills, you know you can do it. And then you've got to wait for a little while before you can start earning decent money. And I wasn't interested in that. I just wanted to earn money. So I became a barber because I could start earning money. I left barbering in the end. Um, I started to do some odd jobs in sort of warehouses and stuff like that. Um, and then um, I got a job in advertising sales. Um, and I did a couple of jobs in advertising sales, and then I and, and because I was working in sales, I then fell into IT sales, um, mm-hmm. and it sort of went from there. Really, I, I I met some friends. A friend of mine was working in IT sales. Um, he introduced me to this job. I got a job, 
Um, and then I fell into this, uh, this yeah, the, the first job was a place called Aslam, which was a, an IT distributor. And I met lots and lots of friends there. And I worked there at a really crucial point, I think, maybe in the IT industry. And this particular company, there were so many young people working there, so many of my friends over a couple, space of a couple of years, we had the best time ever. Like we we're all making good money. Um, we we're all partying quite a lot. And it was just some of my best memories. So that's how I ended up in IT. Yeah. Um, and then from there, um, I got to a point when I was working in IT where I was like, this is financially rewarding, but it's not flicking my switch. And I would have been in my mid twenties. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I really, really, you know, I'm loving the vibe. I'm loving the partying. I'm loving the money, but I'm sitting here and I felt like I was selling my soul. Hmm. And I was, there was stuff. I, I know that I knew that I needed to do something more. I wanted to contribute. I wanted to do something a bit more creative, but I didn't know what it was. So what I did was, is I saved up lots of money and I went traveling around the world for a year. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So that was that. I that's the IT. That's where I got to with the IT. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's really interesting. I think that's quite a, a a kind of big realization for someone at that age to realize that that wasn't the path that they wanted to pursue. Was there anything specific that triggered that? Uh, maybe I was partying a bit too hard. Right. <laughs> no, I think that. I guess. I, I mean. I guess I. I. I I think that because when I was a young lad, I'd, I had all these interests, like I was always interested in conservation and wildlife. And I always thought that maybe I'd become a vet or I'd work with animals. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, I was interested in like biology and um, I was also interested in anatomy and, and, and psychology and, and human beings um, and music. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just felt that I had to do something different. You know, I had to do something different. Like, I, I guess then I didn't, I, I, I mean, I'm 41 now, so mm -hmm. I was so different that I was a, I was a child, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I knew something was up, but I didn't know what. Mm. I didn't know how to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. But I just knew that I had to do something different. And I guess what I did was, is I created the space, of, and everybody was going away. It was quite fashionable mm. to go away and go traveling, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and one of my best friends, we talked about it. What actually triggered it is we went to London Zoo for the day, me and this dear friend of mine, and we were we had a great day, and we were like, oh, we we're like, man, we need to go away traveling, <laughs> you know. I, and I was like, I want to go to some of these national parks, and we said, let's just do it. And we made a commitment driving back that we would do it, and we would book a ticket, and we just booked the ticket, and then that was it. Really? The rest sort of un unraveled from there. Yeah, yeah. So, at what stage then did you say decide, sorry, to pursue? occupational therapy okay and, and i suppose in line with that where did you discover your um passion for for yoga mm. so my passion for my, i found yoga before i went traveling okay in that a female friend of mine took me to a local yoga class i think me and this me and another dear friend and i was like i didn't even know what it was my mum had talked about it before and I was like, I sort of knew what it was and I was playing a bit of football at the time and I was quite active mm -hmm. and I thought, I'll go and check it out. And I went to this yoga class and this first yoga class I went to, this, this lady, Sylvia Smith, who's, she's no longer with us, but she was my first yoga teacher and very, very dear to me, a wonderful woman who had a profound impact on my life. But when I went to this first class, I remember just like sitting there and lying there and doing all these poses and most of the time I was looking over at my friend, laughing and like, you know, like pulling faces at him, you know, <laughs> and just being an idiot, you know. But at the end of the class, 
I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I felt so relaxed. And what I will say is this, I, you know, as a young, as a young man, what I used to do, which a lot of my friends did, and you know, a lot of people around them was, you know, we used to smoke a lot of weed. That's what we used to do to chill out. You know, it's what we, mm-hmm. we, I'd whack on the Bob Marley and, and, and reggae and, and, and music. And that was, that was one of the things I used to do to chill out, to chill out with my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I feel so relaxed, but I'm not stoned. But I felt so relaxed in a really clear way. Yeah. Like I was switched on cognitively and I felt gra- grounded. I felt alive. Mm. And I was like, hang on, this feels a bit magical. And it's that first, I think for many people who, who do yoga for the first time meditation, they have that first experience they have is pretty profound. Mm-hmm. And I hear a lot from people, you know, I had the best night's sleep I've ever had in my life. And I think I had the best night's sleep. And I was like, wow, this is, there's something, there's something in this. So anyway, then I went away traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when I went traveling, I did, a bit of, I did a bit of yoga leading up to traveling. I kept going back to this class. Um, and um, interestingly, what happened was is that I go to yoga and I go with a couple of different friends, a couple of male friends, and we'd go and then we'd come back from yoga and we'd sit and we'd have a cup, we'd have a couple of glasses of wine and just have really interesting conversations. We'd talk about all sorts of stuff. It wouldn't just be like a couple of lads sitting there <laughs> just chatting about the stuff that lads talk about. Mm-hmm. We'd start to ask, we'd found, find ourselves engaged in conversation when we're asking all sorts of questions. And looking back at it now, that's probably where it started to happen. You know, it's like the unfolding. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went traveling, I enrolled on this three month yoga course and I f- stayed in this ashram and, and, and lived and, and sort of went to all the lectures and, 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 and followed the diet. And, and that's where I really started to get a, the door opened a bit more with yoga. And I was like, okay, this is what this, this stuff is pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. And started what, to get a real taste for it. What's your yoga of choice then? My yoga of choice now. Yeah. I don't even know what to call it. it really? <laughs> because I think the problem with calling it something is that it becomes restrictive. Okay. And I think that for me, yoga, my yoga of choice now is um, I just roll my mat out and I just move and I breathe. That's it. Really? I put some music on. Could be anything. You know, first thing in the morning, it could be anything. I might put a bit of Aretha Franklin on or um, a bit of jazz or even a bit of real soulful drum and bass. Huh. And I just close my eyes and I just move and I breathe, you know, and that's it. And so does it most resemble um, like Ashtanga or like um, Kundalini type or is it? Um, I think that, I mean, my, my, I guess my yoga is probably influenced by, um, I like restorative yoga and, and yin yoga where mm-hmm. sometimes if I've had a quite a stressful day in my job as an OT, I need to totally yield and, un- and, 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 and like plug myself back in. So I'll just lay there over a bolster with an eye bag, or I'll do some positions where I can just totally go inside and just, you know, really go to a different level of relaxation and switch off. And my more dynamic practice would probably look like, what's well, influenced by many things, it's probably influenced by my jiu-jitsu practice, it's influenced by dance, it's in- probably influenced by ashtanga. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find it difficult to define, maybe because I've had so many influences. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. Because yeah. I, I, I didn't know that specifically, but I felt as though I kind of needed to mm. dig a little deeper and find out. Mm. <laughs> awesome. Sorry to derail you. No, you, were, no. you were telling us more about the, the yoga and the journey yeah. to uh, occupational therapy. <laughs> mm. um, 
Yeah, the, um, so the, the, the journey into occupational therapy, what happened was is that when I was away traveling, traveling totally like was such a big game changer for me and totally opened me up because I've been away a few times on holiday and I, I feel very fortunate because my parents as children took, took us away quite a lot to like Mediterranean destinations, but they took us to, um, to Brazil when we were younger as well. And that was a massive, massive eye-opener mm. as, as a young child, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was beautiful, beautiful for me because I'd always, always wanted to go somewhere like that, you know. Um, going away traveling um, and being able to go to, I started in India, and having such a, a fascination with the wildlife of India, particularly the tiger, tiger conservation is a real big love of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, but having the opportunity to be to be able to go to some of the wildlife uh, the wildlife sanctuaries and, and, and the tiger reserves, like I've never, it, I've never had such. It was, it was the most profound experience I had had to date at that time. Where I always remember it, being in a jeep, and going into um, Ranthambore Tiger Reserve at sunrise, and sitting there, and I didn't actually get to see a tiger on my first safari and many people don't because they're so elusive and many people who are out in the in the wild wildlife photographers might not see some one for years you know but it was just being there and being in the tiger's habitat and seeing all the scenery and the fauna and and, and, and hearing the sounds and the smells and being there and being and being like oh my god I've waited for this all my life <laughs> I've, I've known that I've always supposed I, I was always supposed to have come here and here I am right now and I've created this mm. you know and it it it, it, it um, created it gave me a really beautiful experience inside and then of course the conversations with people you know meeting people from all over the world and sitting there and many people I'm sure that backpack and maybe backpack for the first time get to experience that because I'm like I've only been immersed in British culture I don't know I don't know anything else so yeah. suddenly you've you know you're in a big circle of people and you've got someone from Canada there and from from New York and from um, Stockholm and from you know Berlin um, and from Israel and you're having a big big conversation and suddenly someone's like asked you a question well you have you ever thought about this I'm like well no why would I <laughs> why would I have thought about that or and it's just like such an eye-opener mm -hmm. and I always remember con particular conversations about studying and I for me I always thought to myself well you know, if we do some, if we study, um, it's only ever going to be for, it's going to lead to something vocational. I didn't mm -hmm. ever think that we, we should study because we're interested in something. But through these conversations that I was having, it was like, well, actually, you know, we study because we're interested in something. Yeah. And we can study until the day that we die. You know, we don't. And that really opened me up. And I guess the reason I'm, I mentioned that to you is because you asked about occupational therapy. Mm -hmm. And I always knew that I wanted to that I needed to change career. I mean, I was, I was in my late 20s, and even then I thought, well, I was mid, late 20s, I thought to myself, oh my God, I can't change career now because I'm getting old and, you know, but looking back on it now, you know, I was still very young, I'm still very young now. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was huge. I was like, oh my God. And, and then of course you get all these book recommendations and it just opens you up. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's suddenly you tune into a different frequency. You've been listening to stuff on medium wave and then you're on FM. Yeah. And backpacking yeah. gave that to me, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm sure there are many things, you know, there are many things that will do give people that experience. But I think many people talk about traveling that way. Yeah. Travel is just, can open you up on so many levels. And it did that for me big time. And then 
of course, then that sows that seed, that love is always there. Um, and essentially, to cut a very long story short, I've got a tendency to waffle. No, it's, it's, I, love, I love hearing it, honestly. It's brilliant. I, I'd take as long as you need to answer questions. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, so when i coming towards the end of this trip, I mean, this experience, I knew that coming back, I had to do something else. And I, I guess I have to, I have to, you know, give immense gratitude to my my girlfriend at the time who I was with, who I was traveling with, mm-hmm. um, who sort of encouraged me to to go and to go and study, um, and to to explore something that I explore anything that I was interested in that I loved. Um, so I came back with that. I came back with that uh, that I could do that. But the interesting thing was is that coming, I was coming back into I guess a culture and a mindset that was you either leave school and you. You find someone and you settle down and you buy a house, you know, and, and you get a mortgage, you know, and, and, and that's it. And you just spend all that time in that career or you go to university, but you better know what you're going to do <laughs> because you do your GCSEs and your A-levels and then you've got to make your mind up. Yeah. You've got to make your mind up. You've got to go and do a degree and then you've, you know, and actually it was interesting because in conversations that I had with particularly with people from Scandinavia and they talk about, they go to gymnasium, their equivalent of... Um, a levels, I think, mm-hmm. right? and then they are encouraged to take a couple of years out before they go to um, university. So you get lots of people at that age, in that age bracket, from Scandinavia traveling. Mm. And I love that idea. I was like, wow, that's amazing. It's like you're encouraging adults, like parents and uncles and aunts, and you know their um, their lecturers and their teachers are saying, go away, take some time out, or, t- or take a couple of years to work try and get a sense of what you want to do. I really um, like, I do really like that. I think that in modern times, it's maybe become, become a bit cliche to take a gap year and just kind mm. of travel. But I think that if you're doing it in the pursuit of finding yourself and learning more about who you are, I think that's, that's brilliant. Mm. You know, I really like that. Yeah. It was the first time that I'd ever like, heard that. And I guess yeah. that, that gave me, um, I was like, okay, this is, this is possible, you know. But I had to come back into that was always it's always a difficult transition i think for a lot of people uh-huh. they'll talk about that when they go away for, a, for traveling for a, however long and they come back into their life because they do come back a different person yeah. you've got to come back in and put an old coat on that doesn't fit or an old pair of shoes and you're like this doesn't quite fit of course you come back as a different person you know but you're coming back into your the same relationships and you might be able to it, it, the transition might be a bit smoother maybe with people that have been away traveling or you know, I don't know. It was it was a difficult time for me. And so, the the when you returned, did people round about you? Do you think they noticed a change in you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I came back and I was massively unsettled. I was really, really, really unsettled because I had, you know, I was so when I was away and I I met a girl and we sort of got together and she was in a different country, and I came back to the UK and then I came back with like. You know this oh my god i've been away traveling and i've just had the most profound and the most amazing experience and i i don't want to go back into my job as in it sales i want to do something different but i didn't know what it was yeah i didn't know what it was i had no idea <laughs> um and that was that was really difficult and it's just you're like oh my god i don't know who i am i don't know blimey where do i fit mm-hmm. and i've and it doesn't feel you've been away and you've been you've not been having to try and fit 
because you're away from your friends, you're away from your family, you're away from jobs, you're away from everything that's tied to your identity. When you're away traveling, you're like, you're like, <sighs> you take this big breath. I remember once, I, I tell you something, a very, very short story. I had a moment when I was traveling and I was, I remember sitting on a camel and I, this camel, I gave this camel the name Emil. I named him after Emil Heskey, he used to play for Liverpool. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was on this camel, I was with a big group of friends, a group of um, girls and guys that we met from, who were from Australia, a very dear friend of mine, a couple of dear friends of mine. And we went on a camel safari in the Great Tar Desert. So the Great Tar Desert had been the, one of the, the desert that separates part of India and Pakistan. So we went on a couple of, uh, camel safari for a couple of days. And by day we'd be out on the camels, you know, and I'd have my mini disc player on. And there was a moment where I was on my camel and what we'd be doing is we'd be going around on the camels, passing the odd joint around so we'd be getting stoned. And I had some Bob Marley on and I was smoking a joint and I was on my camel and I looked out and it was a Tuesday morning and I thought, holy fuck, <laughs> I'd usually be at work now. It was just one of those moments, yeah. And I'm and I'm surrounded by all these amazing people. Some, you know, some of my best friends and some some of my new friends. And I was like, it was just such an eye opener. Mm -hmm. And here I am on this camel, and where am I? It's just amazing. Yeah, it's one of those moments. So I've gone off track a bit. No, that's great. <laughs> I, I was going to come back to the um, the coming back to the UK after yeah. the, the, the the trip abroad. The the the, the trip traveling yeah and I had no idea what I wanted to do I had no I still had no idea what I wanted to do um, occupational therapy is quite niche yeah I didn't know what an occupational therapist was a few years ago <laughs> yeah so what made you decide to choose that not many people know what an occupational therapist is I really? mean if you ask an occupational therapist what is an OT yeah they will struggle to answer the question because <laughs> it's so broad mm-hmm um, did you ask me, what, how would I des describe what it is? What, what was your question? Sorry? Oh, sorry, the question was really just, I suppose, what made you decide that that was the thing you wanted to pursue? Okay. How did it come into your kind of radar? Um, so I, <clears throat> I got to a point where when I came back and I was unsettled and I was trying to make sense of what I wanted to do, I got to a point where I could have gone to study zoology and, and worked in conservation or something like that. Yeah. And that felt like a huge risk. And it probably was a little bit. And looking back on it now, it, it wasn't. But I wouldn't change it for the world. Mm -hmm. um, the, what I, I, I was very interested in conservation and wildlife and music. You know, and I just thought to myself, okay, I'm going to leave those two as hobbies. And I've got this other thing that I'm really interested in, which is psychology and anatomy and human beings and, and healing and health and well-being and spirituality mm -hmm. and I was like well maybe that's what I'll do because if I if, and, and then from that I thought well do I want to study to be a physio or do I want to study to be a nurse or do I want to do I want to study to be a doctor so those were the things that I was looking at and then I remember there was one evening that I went to my local gym I was a member of a homes place which was they were then bought out by Virgin Media yeah, Virgin yeah. Um, uh, Virgin Active mm -hmm. So I rocked up and I, I always remember going into the jacuzzi and there was a friend of mine and she was sat in the jacuzzi and I sat, we sat next to each other and we started having a chat and catching up. And uh, she, I said, what do you do again? Mind me what you do. She goes, well, I'm an OT. 
And I said, all right, what's that? And she started to ex describe what it was. Uh. And I thought, oh, actually, that sounds really cool. I'm going to look into that. And then she gave me the name of the admissions tutor at Bruno University, who was in, in, involved in the intake for occupational therapy, the Bachelor's of Science in Occupational Therapy. And I gave this guy, Chris Bailey, a call. And then it all went from there. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, this sounds great. It was sounded like a mixture of psychology and physiotherapy. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> and how long have you been doing it now? 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but from the, that wasn't, I suppose, the end of the journey. I suppose there never really is uh, an end as such. Chill Winston. Mm. How did that come about? Hmm. It's really interesting when I get asked when I get asked this question. I know that I'm on the right track because I feel something come alive in me. Yeah, you know, which I'm so grateful for. Uh -huh. How did Chill Winston come about? So I Chill Winston started. I mean, I, if pe if people would have asked me this question a couple of months ago, or even a year ago, I would I would I would have to really think about it, mm -hmm. and I would say, well, it came about because I was trying to find a name for my yoga business. And I wrote on my flip chart, Chill Winston, and I kept coming back to it. And then I worked with my friend who's into branding and stuff like that. And through her and her friend, they helped me create it. But that's not really how it came about. Chill Winston came about really through my childhood experiences. You know, that's where it came from. That's where the, um, the, uh, the bottom of the fire is. Hmm. It's where it is, you know, and it's only through becoming a man and where I am now that I'm able to look back and see. I'm, I'm, you know what, I'm, I, there's a quote from Steve Jobs that I always come back to and I never really understood what he meant and I really feel that I understand what he means now is that we can't connect the dots through looking forward only back. Such a good quote. And it's so true, man. Love it, yeah. It's so true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that's how I feel about this because I look back and I think, what is the driver behind my work? For Chill Winston, and it all started with childhood. You know, my what my uh, wonderful and powerful and uh, difficult childhood experiences. It's interesting because we didn't really cover, I suppose, um, in the introductory part. I'm interested, I suppose, to hear what some of the kind of challenges in your up not your upbringing necessarily, but growing up for you. What were kind of the challenges, and how have they fed into what you're now doing? Um, well, I mean, I'd like to f start firstly by saying um, I had the most amazing upbringing. Mm -hmm. I really did, you know. I'm so, so grateful. So I, you know, I have a wonderful family and we're so close, you know. And I am, um, so, so essentially, to cut a very lo long story short, um, when you go right back to the source, so <laughs> my mum, um, met my biological father and I think uh, in uh, the uh, mid 70s I was born in 1976 they weren't together that long I they I, I, I turned up yeah and then my mum and dad separated my um, and then my mum met someone else when I was um, maybe about a year and then who became my father and brought me up mm -hmm. um, and um, and then through that we st we started this family where um, my mum and dad had uh, a little girl and two more boys. So my sister 
and my two younger brothers. So there's there's this there's six of us in this family unit, um, and uh, we all brought up together in this beautiful environment, and it was wonderful. Um, and I suppose my what led what's led me on my sort of identity work mm-hmm. and making sense of who I am as a as a man has been. Um, you know, there, there, there came a point, I guess, where my mum and dad had to tell me that actually I had a biological father, you know, which happened around the age of 10. Okay. Um, so I guess um, that's where my, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use the word, I'm not going to use the words traumatic because I think that's, because people have traumatic childhoods. You know, but it was definitely, it was definitely, it definitely had an impact. Mm. Definitely had an impact. It had an impact at the time, an emotional impact, a big emotional impact, but it had a, a, a beautiful impact because it became the fire and the catalyst to become who I am now. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> who is that? Who is that? Wow, that's a... That's a big question, isn't it? You fucker. Yeah, you set yourself up for that, Marvin. I did, didn't I? <laughs> Walk, um, walked right into that one. Um, I, what I'm going to do is I'm, I am going to answer that, but I'm going to answer it in this way. Okay. I think that the, 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 I became that, I became this guy through when you, because I had basically had two separate families, you know. So as a child, as a ten-year-old, had to had to try and make sense of that. And what happens is, in my experience, and the reason I talk about this is because I think it's important to, and it might be useful for anyone else out there who's going through something similar, mm-hmm. and and or people might be able to make a connection to it because I think many young people have issues with identity, like who am I? <laughs> Where do I fit in the world? Teenagers do anyway. Um, and I, I imagine, and I had a conversation with another friend of mine who's from mixed race uh, background, and we were having the same conversation, like identity was a big issue for her. Mm-hmm. So it was, it's all, it, for me, it was very much about, right, so I don't know who I am. Okay, so I'm brought up in, with a, a, a British and sort of white family, and that's who I am, I'm British. But now I've been introduced to this West Indian family and I don't even know what that means and I don't even know who I'm supposed to be. So then what you do as a child is that you, your interest as a child is just, um, you, you're, trying to, you're, you're trying to present yourself in a way that enables you to be loved and not left and not abandoned. Now even though there was never, ever, ever any messages that I was ever gonna be abandoned, that is something that you have as a child. Mm-hmm. That's what you do. You're spinning plates. You're like, who do I have to be? And that's when you start putting all these masks on, mm-hmm. you know. And um, it was like, you know, you're going back and forwards, back and forwards, back and forwards. So that's when, for me, I think as an individual, I started to put all these layers up and really become quite fixated in when I met anyone. I didn't even know I was doing it. It was like, okay, who do you want me to be? You know, and this is how I have to present myself to you in order to be accepted. Mm. Um, and the, the journey of getting to where I am now has been, um, it's been like a, a, an, an unpicking, an unravelling, um, peeling away the layers and almost like a rescuing of that child again who's 
buried under rubble, hmm. rubble that I put there, mm-hmm. and pulling him out and saying, who are you? <laughs> who are you then? You know, And wow, it's great to meet you. And then with that, he becomes the man, the man becomes him. You know, because that boy is always part of the man, the man's always part of the boy. Jeez. That makes sense? Yeah, it does. It makes perfect sense. It's incredibly deep. It is, um, isn't it? How do you... You uh, asked the question. I know. <laughs> <laughs> how do you then leverage your own personal experience in order to help young boys that may be going through something similar? Um, I guess because um, I've had to do the work. It's not to like, it's not to, it's not to become anyone mm-hmm. or to become someone that I wasn't. It's just to, it's just to, be, it's just to get to a space where I am enough. Huh, yeah, you know, uh-huh. and I think that's a, that's that's something that's a mantra that so many people have. I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. I have to, in order to be accepted, I have to present myself in a way to the world that enables me to be accepted. And that's bullshit. Hmm. It's bullshit. You know, we are enough. And I guess for me, um, you know, like I'd never be able to sit here and have a conversation like this in this because I always be thinking, what will so and so think, and what will so and so think. And now, I don't care. I don't mean I don't say that in an egotistical or blase way. No, not way. at all. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm saying it from in here because because I accept myself, and I accept myself as I am, and I'm just speaking from here and in here. You know, uh-huh. I talk from my gut and here, and less from here, less analysis and trying to make sense of it and work it all out. And I guess because I'm not saying for a moment that, I mean, when I think about my work with young teenage lads and men, mm-hmm. I'm not sitting here and saying I'm an expert and, uh, and you know, and I, and because blimey, I ain't been around that long. I'm only 41. <laughs> but because of the journey that I've been on and because of who I've, who I was and who I've become and, 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 and the unraveling and, 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 you know, I've, I've experienced it and it's in my bones. Mm-hmm. You know, so I can I can say I'm an expert. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I've done, been there and done it. Yeah. I'm not saying it ends. You know, it's it's ongoing. And I imagine that for many people that have been through any type of quite profound and an experience that's un, been going on for many years, they mm-hmm. would. And so what's what's enabled me to get to that is having um, a wonderful supportive family. Um, amazing friends um, and um, lots of psychotherapy lots of counseling which I, I'm a huge advocate of and I talk I, I, I will talk about it in this way that um, you know why why do we go why would we go why, why do we go why do we get so obsessed with the gym and don't get me wrong I'm massively into movement and physical activity mm-hmm. but we're so focused on that and when and we don't spend enough time thinking about you know, going to the gym for our mind and for our emotions. And that's all psychotherapy and counselling is. Mm-hmm. We don't need to have a particular acute issue or something we're working through. And I've spent many years in psychotherapy and that's enabled me to unpick a lot of this stuff and get out of my own way. Yeah, yeah. You know, and just actually, it's always been there. It's just like you step from, you know, you're stepping from out of all the stuff that you've built up and then, oh, hello, I'm here. <laughs> I've always been here. Yeah. It's me, you know. And, and actually, it's like all you do is you say to the world, here I am, this is who I am, um, I'm okay, I know I'm okay. And then the feedback you get from the world is, you are okay, <laughs> we quite like you actually. Yeah. Rather than, because the thing is, you know what it's like, if you sit with someone and you talk to them when you're with someone, 
and you can tell if they're a little bit un all we can all be unsure of our, ourselves i'm not saying that i'm not sometimes i'm not sure of myself but when we sit with someone they're unsure of themselves it's almost as if we want to say oh it's okay mm -hmm. you know we can sense they feel a bit uncomfortable in their own skin mm -hmm. um i was going somewhere with that but i don't know where but if it's <laughs> if it's important it'll come back <laughs> great stuff i'm just gonna let it go <laughs> There you go. <laughs> so, what about um, things like meditation, yoga, maybe even jiu-jitsu in the sort of exploration of self? Have they kind of helped you uncover who you are to, to any extent? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, without a doubt, they've been they've all been pretty profound tools for me, really. I mean, yoga, yoga. I always remember the first yoga class that I ever went to. Sylvia Smith. This my. my first teacher who I was talking about. I always remember her saying, and I was lying there in a pose, fidgeting probably a bit too much, like, <laughs> what's this all about, you know? And she said, let go, you know, just let go. And I remember thinking to myself, let go? What do you mean? Am I allowed to let go? You know, what happens if I let go? You know, uh, it, it, won't everything fall apart? Or you know, just, the first time that someone tells you to relax, it's okay to relax. And I, that always stuck with me. And I think being a man as well, you know, being told that it's okay to relax, it's okay to let go, it's okay. And it's not just, sorry, it's not just being a man, it's just being a human being. It's yeah. like, gotta have it all held together. And particularly, I, you know, I talk about being a Brit, you know, stiff upper lip, we got, we got, we got, it, we got it locked down, you know, mm -hmm. we're in control of this. And it's like, well, actually, no, it's okay to just go, I don't know what's gonna happen. Don't know. It's okay, and the, the the profound power in being able to loosen our grip, and this I see this massive connection with jiu-jitsu as well, in being able to loosen our grip and let go, and the space that opens up then. Um, because here's the thing: if we're always trying to have it all figured out, you know, it's like having a conversation, isn't it? It's like, you know, like when you're going into an important conversation or something you care about, it can become a bit scripted. Like it's good to prepare, I think, but. Mm -hmm. If we care about it, oh yeah, we, you know, I've, this is what I want to say, and I want to say this, and I'm, and I'll be honest, you know, coming into this interview because I really care about my work, mm -hmm. and because I care about the work you're doing. I was like, okay, I'm going to have this conversation with Elliot, and I've got things that I want to talk about, and I better not forget about this and this and this because I care about my work, and I want to make sure that I want to, I want people to know about it, I want it to be useful to people. But we've got to let that go. Uh -huh. You know, and it, and it's sometimes if we're too caught up in that, then it then it doesn't create space for for expression and for creativity. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And 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 yoga t has taught me how I guess has has helped me to to be able to do that because you have no choice when you're on the yoga mat. You know, you come to the yoga mat, and you you know you face yourself. Hmm. You know, when you slow down and you're quiet and you go inside, you you. You know, I'm looking at the mirror there, but there's a mirror in front of you, and you see yourself. There's no, there's no, there's no bullshitting. It's you, and you, you're. And in yoga, you can run because there are a lot of yoga classes where it's just dynamic. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this style of yoga, but it's a very bling type of yoga. It's not my bag. You know, hot yoga. I like a bit of hot yoga, but there's some. It's fashionable, and you wear people go there in the particular outfits, and it's just, you know bang, 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 you're doing all these poses, and then right at the end, at the end of a yoga class, you'll do relaxation, we call it shavasana. And the, you're, I've been in hot yoga classes, and I hear the teacher, I'm lying there, a teacher will say, 
okay? You've got five minutes to do some relaxation. If anyone wants to go now, you can go and you hear loads of people rustling around with their bags and phones. And I'm always thinking, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know, this uh, is telling you something that if you have to jump up and leave now, yeah. you know, you're missing something because yeah. it, I just think that people that are that active, you know, if they, if they can't stop and be still, it's telling them something. That's mm -hmm. their message, you know. And I see that when I teach restorative or yin yoga, you know, the more, the, the more calming and slow and internal yoga where you hold poses for a long time. Mm -hmm. People rock up to that type of yoga, haven't done it before, and I can tell they're fidgeting when they come in, they're fidgeting in poses, they don't like it, it's pushing their buttons. And maybe right at the end, it's not a judgment of them at all. Mm -hmm. Right at the end, I'll ask them, how did you find it? And they'll be like, yeah, well, you know, it was all right, but it's not really my cup of tea. You know, I like my vinyasa, I like my more dynamic stuff. And I'm thinking, that's great, that's cool. But I'm also thinking, this is probably what you need to do more than anything else because you are running. Mm. You're probably doing this in your life and you're running, mm. you know. But we need to find that balance. And just to sum up, with jiu-jitsu, it's exactly the same, I feel. Mm -hmm. Because in jiu-jitsu, I mean, for me, I'm only a blue belt. I say I'm only a blue belt, I have no, I don't, I'm not, I'm looking down at my, you see that? <laughs> yeah. That's my, um, the arm is being saved for the purple and the brown and the black. And that will take however long it takes, you know, maybe 60, 70. It doesn't matter. The belts are not important. But when you're, a, when you're a white belt, I remember being a white belt and like rocking up and, you know, you're just trying to win and, 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 you, and you, you gas out, you blow yourself out because... All you're trying to do is you're trying to get the better of your, your the person that you're sparring with or you're rolling with. Whereas what you learn to do, one of the first things that you learn as a blue belt is that you've got to relax. You've got to relax because it's actually through relaxing that you conserve your energy. And it's actually through relaxing, I, I feel, that you start to get a sense of the other person's body, proprioception, like you can close your eyes and you know where their, you know where their body is, you know where your body is in space. And sometimes we do rolling drills where we're sparring blindfolded hmm. and I love it because sometimes when I'm blindfolded and I roll I roll better than I ever would with my eyes open because then I, I'm not thinking about it you know um and you see it in Chi Sao and Kung Fu you know mm -hmm. I think there's a I saw I've seen a picture of Bruce Lee and his teacher I think um Yip Man and they're doing the sticky hands and they've got blindfolds yeah and it's all that, it's all like, look, get the mind out of the way, get the monkey mind out of the way. Uh -huh. Because this monkey mind is useful and it's a great tool and we can, let's use it, but let's not allow it to use us. And, and you know what, and I, and I truly believe this and I've seen this again and again and again. I think if we're going through a really, really stressful period of our lives or we're going through, um, you know, like a hurricane, uh -huh. life sometimes can come along and just smack us around the head, can't mm. it? And knock us on the floor. It's at those points where we don't listen to our mind because our mind can be obsessional and it can get caught up in stuff. You know, like sometimes when, you're, when you've got a lot of stuff going on, um, paranoia is the wrong word, it's a bit too strong, but you start to look into too much how other people are being. You're like, well, maybe they're being a bit funny with me because of this and because I've done this, this and this. The reality is if you go and ask them, they're gonna usually say to you, don't be ridiculous. No, it's not about that at all. But it just goes to show that sometimes this can run away from itself. Yeah. So sometimes it's really useful to use practices, whether it be jiu-jitsu, yoga, dance, music. I don't know, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where you bring yourself into your body yeah. and you go, 
<sighs> okay, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm here, I'm back. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do, absolutely. It's funny, I was, I was actually going to ask you in terms of um, advice for others and uh, kind of disconnecting from the, you know, <laughs> the stresses of life, the speed that everything's going, technology. You know, how do you go about doing that? Well, how do I go about doing it? I mean, I, I know how to go about doing it. Mm-hmm. And the way that I, and I can tell you what I teach people but I would be lying if I said that I do it myself all the time, mm-hmm. you know, because we live in a fast moving world and, you know, we're human beings and actually we are, we're apes, aren't we? And we yeah. get, you know, it's like monkey, you know, oh, monkey, monkey, oh, that's shiny, that's bright. I'm going back to it. Yeah. You know, the flashing screens, the, you know, there's just so much, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I would say for me, um, I think that disconnecting from technology is really important. Yeah. Um, and I think that's massive. And I think particularly in the evenings, you know, and I think this leads to sleep hygiene. I think sleep is massive. Mm. We don't have to talk about it too much because we know everybody's talking about it and for good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that when it comes to sleep, I think that having that, and I, and I talk about this in my resilience workshops because I think it's so important, having that hour before we go to bed and not taking the tablet to the bed, mm. not taking the phone to the bed. I do it sometimes. I do it because I'm like, wow, I just want to watch this YouTube video or I, I just want to watch the, you know, this podcast or whatever it is. You know? mm-hmm. And I'm like, I know this isn't good for me and my sleep, but I do it anyway. I think sleep is really important. I think that when it comes to really bringing your feet to the floor, I think that finding a, a, a daily breathing or meditation practice is massive. Mm-hmm. And it's an absolute game changer. And interestingly enough, on my way to come and see you, I was having a conversation with an Uber driver and he was like, where, where, where are you going? He said, he said, I said, it's my first time in Edinburgh and it's mad because I've got, you know, my, I've got my grandfather Scottish and like, I'm here in Scotland for the first time, what's going on? <laughs> and he said, so what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm gonna be on this podcast and this is what, and he said, what do you do for a living? And I said, I do this, this and this. And he was like, oh, cool. He said, I meditate and I use an app called Headspace. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, if anyone asked me, you know, if I could start anywhere, where would I start? And I said, with Headspace. <laughs> And I'm, I'm, I'm gonna big up Andy Pittacombe and the guys at Headspace because I think the work that they've, they're doing and the work that they've done is amazing. Mm. And it very much, it feels like the sort of stuff that I'm trying to do with Chill Winston in that Andy Pittacombe and his team had, well him particularly, he had this idea. He was like, you know, he's a Buddhist monk and I love meditation. I can see how beneficial it is for the world. But, you know, in present, sometimes when we present it to the world, people's barriers go up. Yeah. And they're like, that's too, that's too esoteric for me, or that's too woo-woo. Mm-hmm. And straight away, the barriers go up, and you are not getting through. And he's like, all I, I know how powerful that is, this is, and I want to share it with people. And how can I find a way to reach everybody? Yeah. Because it's a, it's a, it's a tool for evolution as human beings. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's done. Hmm. That's what he's done, isn't he? I mean, he's done his TED talk, and he's got this beautiful app, and he's and, he, and he's like, he's packaged it in a no-nonsense format for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. Headspace, I say, start there. Headspace is a great place to start. Nice. Yeah, it's funny. It reminds me. It was an interview I did a while back, actually, with a 
kundalini uh, yoga specialist mm. and she spoke about the fact that you know we wash ourselves every day we clean ourselves but we don't cleanse our energy mm. the sort of spiritual sides that we don't see and we're not as, as aware of and the need to sort of do that i listened to you on um rue wickman's shredded brainiac podcast oh you yeah, sp- yeah you spoke a little bit about our morning routine do, do, is that something that you still do yeah okay yeah yeah um, I think morning, yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you mean the what meditation is a morning routine? Yeah, like? meditation-wise, yeah. You basically say you've got like your meditation pillow, I think. Yeah. Um, you put that down. You, it's it's a dark room. Yeah. You have your green tea yeah. and steam from that. Is yeah. that really what you you still kind of do that stuff? Yeah, I was smiling, man, because I went there. I was there uh, to close my eyes. I felt a bit zen out. <laughs> I was there. Yeah, and I and I think creating that. I mean, for me, creating that space is really important, like that. Yeah. Because I, like, I don't meditate every day. I need to. And mm-hmm. when I don't meditate, I can feel it. And I, I've got, I've, I've recently discovered a practice called transformational breath for a friend of mine, um, a very dear friend of mine, Tanya Forgan, who introduced me to transformational breath. And actually next weekend, I'm going on a four-day course with them to do modules two and three. And it's an absolutely... Um, stunning practice Um, it's difficult to explain but essentially what it is it's a really simple breathing technique that enables it feels like it enables a bridge to a drawbridge to come down between the conscious and subconscious mind and there's a clearing and every time you come out I feel like you come out of this you come out of a transformational breathing session of like 20 minutes it maybe it's like what it might feel like to do I don't know, like intense psychotherapy or bloody psychedelics or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's mad. It's just, I, I remember when I was doing this transformational workshop, I did module one and every time I came out of a breathing session, I'd stand up and I'd look around and I'd look at this, me and the same girl, because we, we were like next to each other, we'd look at each other and smile and I'd go, holy fuck. <laughs> because it was such a transformational practice mm-hmm. so I'd, I'll do that it's just basically lying there and you've got some music on and you're, you're following the breath and doing some breath work or I'll sit there and do mindfulness of breathing mm. and I try and do that every day and if I don't do some sort of stilling practice where I go inside and just get quiet it just reconnect with the inner me you know yeah. if I don't do that something feels like it's missing and it feels like I go out, I step out, and I'm like, I just don't feel, it's like I've, I haven't brushed my teeth. Mm. You know, and I, and I think the whole thing about creating, it becoming like a ritual and yeah. creating the space is important. Like I would, you know, I'll, I'll burn, I'll put a candle on some essential oil, I'll get some matcha green tea or some oolong, and I'll get my cushion and I'll get my blanket. And these things, and, and setting up the environment just remind my body and my mind and my spirit of what is about to unfold, I mm. think. Mm-hmm. Setting the tone, it's, do you know what I mean? I do, yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. Mm. Really good. Mm. <laughs> good stuff. Mm. Marvin, it's been brilliant finding out about, just, you know, you're such a fascinating guy. You're so deep, you, you speak from the heart. I just absolutely love it. It's, it's honestly brilliant. Um, at this stage, I'd like to go a little bit, I suppose, deeper and, and address some of the more kind of philosophical topics. Mm. Um, the first of which is something that we've spoken a little bit about in the past as well, and it's purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, at this stage, where you are in your, your kind of journey of life, what do you feel is your, your, your purpose? 
Well, I always, uh, it's a really interesting question and purpose sometimes when I hear that, I like it, it inspires me, but it also makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Because I, like when I think about purpose, for me personally, I think it's always changing. I don't like to think about it as being something that's stuck because it's gonna change. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think one of the things with purpose, th- this is just my personal opinion, sometimes people get, um, if, if you ask, if, if, if I was, someone might say, well, you know, I'm trying to find out what my purpose is and I haven't, you know, blimey, you go into Waterstones and you look at the self-development section and uh, there are so many people have written books about purpose, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm gonna read this next book because this book, you know, if I read it all the way through, it tells me I'm gonna be able to work out what my purpose is. <laughs> And people are like, I need to find my purpose because until I find my purpose, then I, my life isn't complete. Mm. I don't know how we find our purpose or I guess, I mean, for me and my purpose, what do I, what do I feel my purpose is right now? I feel I have a duty. And we talked about this last night, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And I feel that the, my work with Chill Winston, I feel that because of my, um, you know, wonderfully, um, uh, um, colourful upbringing um, and how that's uh, and, 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 and yeah the, the, the supportive environment and all the stuff that's happened to me in my life um, that has um, created th- this um, depth and this um, desire to have an impact um, on male suicide in the UK hmm. and that and that is my purpose. Yeah, I, it's in my bones, you know. I don't even have to think about it. It's not something that I think about here anymore. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I was always trying to work out what it was. What is it? Well, it might be that, and it might be that, and it might be this. I don't even have to think about it. I know what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a purpose. Yeah, yeah, and um, it, I just want to have some sort of impact on it, uh-huh. you know, and, 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 and I feel that I can. Yeah, I feel that I can. And how, how so? How how do you plan on going about that? Well, I guess, I guess I, I feel, I feel that because of my journey, because of my journey in, in becoming more comfortable in my own skin as a man, and becoming more, and really realizing the importance of talking about the way that I feel, mm. um and how that has enabled me to feel more comfortable with my own skin mm-hmm. and become more resilient and just, and, and actually to become more of a man, <laughs> Yeah. to become more of a complete man. Uh-huh. I think because without it, we're not men. Yeah. Because how the fuck can we relate to the world? Mm. How can we relate to other men? How can we relate to women? How mm. can we relate to children? Mm-hmm. And I think that we gotta, we gotta, we've, and it's bloody hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, as men, it's the scariest thing we can ever do talking about the way we feel, mm-hmm. you know, so, oh my God, don't want to do that. That is, that's like, that's, that's, that's the heaviest amount of weight we're ever going to have to push. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, the, I'm just trying to find the best. Sometimes with language, <laughs> it's difficult because we created, you know, we created language, didn't we? Yeah. To, as, as human beings, we've created language to try and describe feeling. And I think sometimes feeling can get lost in language. Mm-hmm. So I always give myself time to pause, which is what I'm doing now. <laughs> um, you know, um, 
So I guess, I, 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 okay, this is it. I guess I feel in my work as an occupational therapist, for example, we have this thing that we call therapeutic use of self. Yeah, and therapeutic use of self being that we, if when we're working with someone, when we're working with a patient, the most important thing that we do is that we get on their level because we need them to feel comfortable in dialogue with us and comfortable in themselves and comfortable in this relationship, this dialogue, this conversation. Mm -hmm. Because if they're comfortable, they can relax and then they feel more comfortable about expressing how they really feel and talking about the real problems, the real things that are having difficulty with. And then if they do that, we're able to help them. Mm. Because if they're not comfortable, they're not going to tell us. You know, so I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that my work it, with um, teenage boys and with men is I have, I feel that I have um, one of my skills in the work that I do is I have a, uh, um, I use therapeutic use of self um, in I want to try and, I want to try and reach everybody mm. you know the 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 the, got the chaps on the building site you know the guys mm. in IT sales you know I've worked in the corporate world you know I've got my dad is a builder you know my uncles are working construction I've worked in construction I've worked on the building site with my dad you know I can I can I, I you know I can I can go there you know I can and I think that as a grounded man uh-huh. there are many there are you know there are so many colors aren't there mm-hmm. you know and it's nice to be able to move in between all of them mm-hmm. and I guess that's the emphasis of my work you know yeah. I want to be able to reach as many people as possible yeah is that does that answer the question I feel like yeah I've gone it does the no no a bit. no no not at all um it, one of the things that I think I'd like to kind of reference is your Instagram page, I think, is absolutely yeah. brilliant. There's so many good quotes on that. And it's, I suppose, the idea of promoting vulnerability, which you do brilliantly. And the other thing is the idea that, you know, I'm an alpha male and I cry. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm in touch with my sort of feminine side, which in the modern society is, seems to be kind of taboo almost, that you shouldn't be like that. Hmm. But actually you totally should be like that mm. because only by doing that is that you then feel comfortable relating to others you understand yourself better you feel better in your own skin and it's probably something that has a direct impact on male suicide yeah yeah without a doubt and i mean you see the number of sort of high profile people you got like robin williams chester bennington recently yeah. committing suicide it's just it's terrible that people would feel so bad about themselves that they would want to take their own lives yeah yeah, it's a huge issue in the UK. Mm-hmm. 6,000 people every year, and 75% of them are men, you know. And the really interesting thing is, is that, you know, if we look at the stats, you have roughly three times more women suffer with depression versus men, but then lots of men are going to, it's going to be unreported. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's... Uh, I think there are just so, so, so many men, you know, that, I mean, you know what it's like as boys, we're boys, little boys, you watch little boys, you know, you don't have to watch little boys and look at them. I remember how I was as a little boy. I was like, you know, I was in the garden, I was playing with my mates, we were, we were, we were macho, we were doing masculine stuff, we were, we were, you know, we had had toy guns, we were rolling around in the mud, we were doing the stuff. Um, that maybe some of the girls weren't into as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we were very sweet. You know, little boys are very sweet. They're very feminine. 
you know, they spend a lot of time with their mums and that gets drummed out of them. Mm. Probably at like five or six when you first start hearing, don't cry, you know, mm. be a big boy. You know, big boys don't cry, pull yourself together, you know, you know that all that stuff. Yeah. And then, of course, as children, what we're doing is we just want to be accepted, mm-hmm. particularly by our, by our parents and by our adults. And by the way, it's not a criticism of parents or adults because they don't know what they're doing. Hmm. You know, it's just they're just trying to shape us into the best human beings possible. I mean, I was I, I guess I was I was very lucky, really. I don't think I, I, I didn't really. It wasn't necessary. I don't feel it was drummed into me more than anybody else. But I just think society, society, and like you know, school, and and then as you you know as you get older, as you become an older lad, and then you become a teenager, mm-hmm. it's just there. It's everywhere, wherever mm-hmm. you are. And then you you get immersed in that pub culture <laughs> yeah. and all that stuff, you know. Uh-huh. And it's suffocating. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely suffocating because the very the very idea or the thought of you displaying or expressing any degree of vulnerability. You don't, don't even want to go there. And you, you know, it's impossible. You know, you cannot shut that down without shutting down your creativity. Mm-hmm. And you only have to have a look at the work from Brené Brown, who, who, you know, who, and she's an amazing woman and she greatly influences my resilience work. The stuff I love about her work is it's evidence-based, of course. But you can't, you know, yeah, it's a big problem. Yeah. It's a huge problem. I think that the work that you're doing to help um, kind of combat it, if you like, is, is absolutely brilliant. I honestly mm. do. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, it's my, it feels like my duty, you know, mm-hmm. it feels like my duty. And, and when I think about it, it makes me emotional. Yeah. You know, so that's, yeah. I think that's a good, that's all I need to know. Uh-huh. You know, that's all I need to know. And, yeah. and I guess um, when I think about my work in schools, you know, with, um, with teenagers and I think of, when I think about myself myself at that life stage I was so confused I didn't know who I was mm-hmm. I didn't know um, all I was interested in was fitting in you know and being fitting in with the coolest lads and um, and I just guess that my I, I, what I really want to do is present th- present tools to young lads at that age that are accessible to them that, where it's not boring Mm. Yeah, and it's not like, oh, this is woo-woo or weird or this is not cool. Present yeah. it in a cool way and yeah. get their attention. And actually, you, 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 you package it and you give it to them in a way that they can see the benefit. You know, how is this going to benefit me in, with my studies? How is this going to benefit me with going out and meeting girls? Yeah. Because so many young teenage <laughs> boys feel so awkward. They're not comfortable in their own skin. They're mm. not. Their bodies are changing, going through puberty hate themselves they feel so weird Mm -hmm. they feel so isolated you know so um and then of course for men as well you know for many many men it's like Mm -hmm. well you know well you know i I hear about all this vulnerability stuff but it's not my bag you know it's a load of old nonsense you know it's not but it's like well actually how is it going to make me um a better father how is it going to make me a better husband Mm -hmm. how is it going to make me more effective at work Mm -hmm. you know and and how is it going to help me with uh, negotiating the storms of life that we cannot get away from. We are going to get those uppercuts and those hooks, and usually we get four or five at once. Mm-hmm. And for, for many men, what it does is it puts them on their backside. They've never been shown, or they don't have the tools to be able to talk about the way they feel, and the very thought of that scares the life out of them. So what do they do is they usually turn to the bottle, and then it's just downhill. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and alcoholism, you know, three times more higher in men than women 
And that's interesting. Yeah. Suicide rates are three times higher. And it's a spiral. Mm -hmm. And something has to give. And we've got to start, we, we, this is why there are so many people having these types of conversations now. Mm -hmm. We've got to talk about it. Because it's, you know, it's the biggest killer of men in the UK. Bigger than cancer, heart disease, um, you know, road traffic accidents. Mm -hmm. What the fuck? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> why, you know, men killing themselves. It's awful. It's tragic. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Boys killing themselves. Little boys. Teenage boys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Looking forward, what do you think you would kind of like your legacy to be? How would you like to be remembered? I'll tell you about this. It's really simple. Sometimes when I'm at home and I'm sat on the dinner table, when I go back for a family meal and I'm sat there and there's my, there's like me and my brothers and my sister and you know, there's my little niece and there's two tiny little nieces now, two little girls. And um, you know, we're all there. And this happens every now and again, we get together as a family. And then I look at my, and you know, I look at my mum and dad, but I particularly look at my dad, because I'm a man, I look at my dad and I'm like, and he sits there and I can, and he's always saying that, you know, I can see it in him, he's like, it don't get much better than this. You know, this is like, this is, he's at the top table. You know, he's at the top, he's at the top of Everest. You know, and he's created that. You know, and I think that's the same, I imagine, for many men, for many grandfathers, if that's their bag, that they have all their family around them and this is what they've created, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, so I think to myself, God, I'd love that. I'd love to have that. So I think for me as a 41-year-old man, it's alive in me, in my heart, that I'd love to be a father and I'd love to be a grandfather. And when that happens, I don't know. I'm not saying that I want to be a father now, right mm -hmm. this second. I'm very much interested in continuing to, to grow Chill Winston and, 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 and have a, a nice strong foundation there to, that gives me the space to be able to do the little things like take my children to school, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 and be with them and spend time with them, really spend time with them, yeah. you know, because you never get that time back. Um, but that's my legacy. And, and also, um, I'd love, I'd love, and, I, and, and it's gonna happen, it's going to happen, I know it is, but I'd love to have a programme that's rolled out in schools all over the UK. Huh. Yeah, you know, and, and that's a goal, that's, that's a lot, I guess that's a long-term goal for me, that's, um, you know, and, and I think that when we're setting goals, like, we make them big. Yeah. Set goals that scare the shit out of you. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, otherwise, you know, you know what it's like, I mean, nothing's ev nothing ever big has happened for me if, when I haven't been scared and when I haven't felt uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, and I haven't thought to myself, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. I don't know, I don't, I've never done this before. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at people that are doing something that you, you really admire, you know, how did they, the, the, you know, they didn't just suddenly do it. You know, they didn't just, they didn't, there was a point where they didn't know how to do it. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, completely. So yeah. everybody starts at the same place, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> What does success look like for you? How do you define success? Um, I think for me, it's about, it's very personal to the individual, you know, so it's, for me, it's like doing what you love, mm -hmm. doing what you love, you know, and that might be that you, that you, that you, that you spend time with your children, 
you know, and that you that you want to be the best father that you can be, or you want to be the best mother that you can be, or that you, you that you are that you're a carer and that you take care of your a family member and you nurse them in bed, or or that you want to build a business, or I don't know, it could be anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what success is. Very very individual. It's person centered. Mm-hmm. You know, might be that you 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 break your your uh, your level, your your uh, the amount of bevies that you're able to go through on an all day, you know, <laughs> could be. I don't know. You know what I mean? Maybe each to their own. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, there are two pieces of advice that stand out. The first piece of advice was from. A uh, huge mentor of mine, my uncle, an uncle, my uncle Wayne. And I remember where I was having a conversation with him once. And it was one of these conversations. It was early hours in the morning. You know, we had been out. We had a great night and we were just winding down. And I imagine that I would imagine if I looked at the scene now, I could picture it. There was probably a couple of glasses of rum and coke. And we were sat there we were finishing the evening off. And we were talking about um, truth and being truthful. And where's that balance between being truthful and holding stuff back for ourselves? Now, I'm going to connect this to yoga philosophy because we have, in part of yoga philosophy, we have something called satya, which is like truthfulness. And sometimes what we hear is, um, it's really important that we're truthful, that we're always truthful, that we always tell the truth. And that's great. And, I, and that really resonates with me because I'm all about truth. I don't like telling lies. I like because I don't like, I don't like people to know. I like, yeah, I, I just, I, it just feels right. Mm-hmm. I don't like to deceive people. It's not my bag. But what Satcher talks about is we need to, we need to, have you ever heard of the, the uh, yogic philosophy, part of yogic philosophy called Ahimsa? No. Like it's called, not, it's non-harming. So it's, it was the sort of cornerstone of how Mahatma Gandhi used to live his life. And of course, you know, him, his, uh, main weapon against the British Empire it was like non-violence, non-harming. Mm-hmm. All sort of starts with self, non-harming of self, but then also others now into the world. So I like to think about truthfulness of, as, as this. When we're thinking about, um, say you're having a difficult conversation and you're thinking, I've got this thing and I need to talk, I need to tell someone about it. Now I think about, is this going to harm them? And if it's going to harm them, maybe I think twice about it. So the reason I'm bringing this in, this yogic philosophy is that when me and my uncle were having this conversation, we both came to the conclusion that actually we, it's very, very important to be truthful, but be truthful in a way that doesn't harm others. And that might mean that we always have to keep something back for ourselves. Mm, mm-hmm. And then in doing that, we keep a bit of ourselves. Yeah. There are some people, what I'm saying, there are some people that just feel they have to tell everything, everyone everything. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell you everything. <laughs> everything. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's like, come on, mm-hmm. you know, in doing that, what are you doing? Are you freeing yourself, hmm. but in hurting others? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. was, I'd say that's a piece of advice. Maybe it was some advice from my uncle, but at the same time, we had this conversation and through that conversation, and that's always stuck with me. I always think about, I'm very, very truthful, but I always think about, okay, do, you know, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do, yeah. So that, and I would, yeah, that's important. Um, 
and also um, the best piece of advice and sometimes advice doesn't come from someone saying I've got some advice for you <laughs> like I'm thinking of you know sit down boy I've got some advice for you now listen up listen up Are you listening it's watching people alive in the world you know I've got I've had many many mentors around me as men growing up as young boys I've got you know two fathers I've got uncles I've had teachers um, but I think about um, my dad um, and him and his hard work ethic, one of the hardest working men that I know and very, very truthful. Um, and he always used to talk about telling the truth. He always used to talk about telling the truth. I'm coming back to truth again. Always used to talk about telling the truth, but integrity. And I guess he always spoke about his, so yeah, it's not about his, it's, it's about ad advice he gave me through action. I always used to see him, and this makes you feel very safe as a child growing up in the world, where you see your parents and whatever they say they're gonna do, they do. Yeah. And that is absolutely priceless as a child. Mm -hmm. And then when I think about children who don't have that, and it's unsettling, and um, yeah, so it's, it, it's, it creates a very nice foundation. I feel very grateful to have had that. And that's what I want to give my children mm -hmm. and any children that I work with mm. or, or, or any relationships I'm in, I guess. Integrity, you know, what you say mm -hmm. you're going to do is what you're going to do. You mm -hmm. know, people can start to become reliant on your word. You know, it's very old school, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, and I did a vlog about this the other day, I think it's important that we need to get to a space where we can let people down if we need to. Because otherwise, otherwise, you know, we we might overcommit and get burnt out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Find yeah. that balance. Yes. If you had the opportunity to speak to your 20-year-old self, what would you say? Hello, Marvin. Is that you? Yeah. Who's that? It's me, 41-year-old <laughs> Marvin. What would I say? Um, uh, I think I would say, don't worry. I would say, trust yourself. Because when I was 20 years old, I didn't trust myself. Like I was very unsure of myself. I wasn't very comfortable in my own skin. And I was very much looking outside in the world, like who do I need to be to fit in? I would just say, dude, just fucking trust yourself. Mm -hmm. You're perfect the way that you are. Yeah. Just trust yourself. Whatever, whatever feelings you have, talk about them uh -huh. in conversation, you know, in, in, rather than thinking, oh, I better not say this because maybe it won't be cool or accepted. Just say it. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's how you become. That's great advice. Mm. Love it. Yeah. If you could change anything in the world, what would it be and why? Wow. What a question. <laughs> um, equality is very important to me. Uh-huh. I don't like human beings being in pain and I don't like... Um, you know, so I guess I would like it to be a more even playing field, you know, for, you know, when it comes to race um, and, you know, and, 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 and men and women and, 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 you know, where we're born and, you know, uh, which country we're born in. Yeah, come on, you know, let's, let's share the wealth. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Uh-huh. So if there was anything I could change in the world, I guess it would be that. Yeah. I just, I just love, I'd love it for, I mean, being someone who's come from a place, 
from a very affluent, um, from the Thames Valley and from a very affluent time, um, I'd love other children to experience that. So if there was any way, and there are lots of people trying to do that, yeah, I mm -hmm. guess that would be it really. Get rid of all the evil bastards. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. The horrible bastards. Yeah. You know. <laughs> there always has to be the yin and yang, I guess. But yes. um, I don't like people who aren't kind. Well, I don't like I don't like bullying, Elliot. I fucking hate bullying. Mm -hmm. If there's one thing I don't I'm not very I'm not like I'm very calm and I'm not very angry, but bullying gets me very, very angry. Mm. Angry in a way that I just want to like and we the problem is with bullying, of course, is that usually people who are bullying have been bullied themselves. Yes. And everybody has probably been bullied or bullied in, in some capacity. You know, but I don't like bullying. I hate it. And if I see it, I want to diffuse it. And I will, mm -hmm. if I see it in, out there, I'll go, and, I'll go and speak it out. I will. Yeah. I'll try to. I think we need to do that. Yeah. We don't, it doesn't happen. People get scared. I better not do this in case something happens to me. Go and say something. Mm -hmm. Go and stick up for your fellow human beings. Mm -hmm. You know, let's let's, yeah. let's support each other. You know, let's get rid of it because that's how it used to be. Uh -huh. well, it didn't used to happen. Yeah, as much. But now it happens everywhere. <laughs> Seriously, I know it does, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. But I, I think that's part of it is perhaps a sort of political correctness gone wrong, mm -hmm. and certainly in generations before us, the people that were. Um, more mature and older were able to say to younger people don't do that and the younger people would listen but there seems to have been a sort of shift whereby the younger people feel as though they're the ones with the power and the older people are just old <laughs> you know yeah but i think we need to kind of readdress what's kind of going on because the whole idea of political correctness is kind of the pendulum swung too far and if you do see something like what you're saying you should be able to kind of call it out yeah can I tell you a, a very short story? Certainly. Yeah. yeah, and it always makes me laugh. I've got a friend of mine, I'm not going to mention his name, but he's a massive big guy. You know, he's about six foot three, six foot four. He's an ex-rugby player, about the same age as me. He's one of the biggest men you ever see in your life. And he's super, he's, he's well-read, he's super educated. He's a very beautiful man, very kind, very calm. And it, so he was, he was on a bus, he was on a bus once, a London bus, and he told me this story and he had been out training. He had his little shorts on and he was sat there for a whacking great novel, reading it at the back of the bus. And there's a group of like 15, 20 lads, you know, I was about to say caps on then. <laughs> a group of young lads and um, he, I think he got onto the bus and when he sat down, he was like, oh God, he just knew they were gonna start like getting laid in, laying into him. Yeah. And he just started, and so straight away, like all the comments started coming. Oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, and he looks a bit like, probably, looks a bit like Dolph Lundgren. Oh yeah, yeah. Ivan Drago in, you know, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. So he's like, oh, so he keeps his head down. They keep going on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And in the end, he's like, oh God. And, 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 and he almost had to like, and he had to get up to get off his bus. And, he, and I think that he, I think, he, and he hates this as well. He, he's someone who has real um, good values. Um, he hates bullying. You know, if, if he sees it, he'll, he'll speak it out. Mm -hmm. And I love that about him. And these, these lads were gonna, he, he, he actually felt for a moment that they were gonna physically come for him. 
So he thought, I've got to do something. And I, and I think that he thought to himself, if I get off of the bus and don't do anything, they're going to get stuck into someone else that maybe can't look after themselves as well as I can. Yeah. So he got up and he walked to the back of the bus and he stood there and he said, right. He said, we're all getting off the bus together and because they, they were going to follow him off. And he said, I'm just going to tell you this now. You can, you can do whatever you want, but I'll tell you this now. If you all come at me, I'm going to kill one of you. <laughs> you know, and I love and I love that because yeah. and they all just shut up because they didn't expect that they didn't expect him to stand up for himself. You know, so I'm not for a moment here advocating violence mm-hmm. at all. That's not my point. My point is that I think we need to stand up for ourselves. You know, in yeah. a skillful way. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? And we need to do that together. And b- the problem is because we're not and because we're cowering away. Mm-hmm. What we're saying to people is it's okay for us to verbally and physically abuse people. And that's not okay. It's not okay. And do you know what? That's one of, the, it's not one of the reasons that I do jujitsu, but I think that ju- for me, jujitsu gives me a confident, more of a confidence in the world. That I think that as I move through my jujitsu journey, if ever I was in a situation where I saw someone being bullied, and together, as a, as a group of people, that we couldn't, we couldn't um, with language, diffuse it and get this person out of the situation. And I had to physically, um, like, hold someone down or do something I could. You know, and that's the great thing about jiu-jitsu. You don't mm-hmm. have to hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. You can just submit them. You can hold them there while you wait for the police. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, 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 and, and, and so yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons, I guess. Yeah, I don't like violence, man. I don't no. like violence. I've, I don't know who this quote is from. I don't know if it's, if it's from Bruce Lee, but it's definitely from a martial arts master. I think it was from Bruce Lee. I was reading one of his books or an interview, and he was talking about, you know, um, how do you describe someone who's mar- mastered martial arts? And he was like, well, it's in their ability to be able to diffuse violence with the use of language. And a real martial artist will never have to use, um, you know, their physical attributes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I speak to, I had quite a few conversations with people who are into martial arts, who, who are into martial arts properly as a spiritual practice and, and what I believe it to be for me. Mm-hmm. And it's like none of them are violent. They're not violent people. Mm-hmm. Not violent in any way. <laughs> They're the kindest, most gentle people you'll ever meet. But if it goes off and they need to protect themselves or their loved ones, then they yeah. will. Yeah. But they'll only ever do it if they need to, uh-huh. you know? But that probably, again, sort of stems from the confidence that they have in their ability. It's people who are underconfident and feel threatened, yeah. that feel as though they have to act you know, bigger or harder than they actually are. Yeah. It's an insecurity thing. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think that you, because you train and you're surrounded by violence, you realise that actually it's not nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not nice and, and it's like... Why would you want to do it? Why would you not just want to talk to someone? And actually, oh my God, you know what? The beauty in being able to diffuse a situation, and if someone's really going off on one and sitting them down and saying, what is this really about? (laughs) And being able to say, come on, you know, and getting around it. And then through it, you open up a dialogue and suddenly you're connecting. Mm -hmm. And you realise that they're just in pain. (laughs) And it's, ju- it's just anger being expressed. It's like vulnerability, mm-hmm. pain being expressed in a f- it's frustration. I imagine if that's 
the case for a lot of men. Yeah. You know, I bet it is, you know, from like, like they've got some emotional stuff going on in their life and they're drunk and they go out and they kick off. And it's not because they're angry with the person they're fighting with, it's no. because of something going on in their personal life. Yeah. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. So then we see the strain of that in the A&E room, don't we? Mm. Every Friday and Saturday night, I guess. Mm-hmm. Marvin, I've absolutely loved speaking with you. It's been a brilliant interview. Um, I hope that I've, I've done done you justice. I hope that we've covered everything that you kind of wanted to, to get out. And uh, yeah, it's been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for coming up. Mate, thank you. I've really, really enjoyed this. Have you? I've enjoyed sitting and <laughs> talking to you. And um, yeah. time has flown by. Yeah, I don't even yeah. know what we've talked about. <laughs> and that's when you know you've had a good conversation, don't you? Yeah, so, yeah. Thank you so much for having me here. It's beautiful to be here in this wonderful space. And yeah, such a delight. It's an, been an, honestly an absolute pleasure. And uh, I wish you all the best in your journey. And uh, definitely keep in touch and, and see where you go with it. Thank you so much. Marvin, thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. Thank you for listening to Inspired Edinburgh. Please come and find us on social media and leave us a review on iTunes. Many thanks.